You know, if that sound brings back special memories for you, you've come to the right place. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Movie Nights and Matinees, the podcast that's designed to stir up fond memories of times when going to the movies was a special event. I'm your host, Bill Groves, and this is what, in podcast terms, is called Episode Zero, essentially an introduction and preview of what's to come. Thanks for listening. Make yourself comfortable and help yourself to cookies. You know, when I had the idea for this podcast, I looked around to see what was already being done. I was amazed and a little disturbed to find that there are so many movie-oriented podcasts. It even took some doing to come up with a name that wasn't already being used. I mean, who would have thought that Malton on Movies was taken? In any case, you may be asking yourself the very reasonable question, what's different about this one? Well... First of all, this is the only podcast currently streaming on the internet, hosted by me. Okay, well, despite my sparkling personality, matchless wit, and profound humility, I am actually not going to be the principal reason for you to listen and subscribe to this podcast, any more than Rex Allen Jr.'s narration is the reason to watch The Incredible Journey. In the episodes to come, I will be chatting with guests who are a whole lot more interesting than I am, or at least have far more interesting things to say, and in most cases, they've actually written books about the movies or movie-related topics that we'll be discussing. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You ain't heard nothing yet! My hope is that somewhere along the line, we'll be talking about movies that you have a personal appreciation for. But when we're not, I think there's a good chance that you'll find the conversations interesting and occasionally hear something that piques your interest into checking out some movies that you haven't previously seen or maybe even heard about. Another way I think my approach will be distinctive is that it appears to me the vast majority of movie podcasts focus either on what's coming out now or films that have come out recently and or they zero in on one specific movie to dissect and talk about. Even in the few podcasts that cover classic movies, I found that, generally speaking, the hosts tend to be young enough that they've only recently, or relatively recently, discovered these films. And while it's nice to hear that younger audiences are finding and appreciating older movies, I can't help but feel that their youth somewhat limits their perspective and the depth to which they can discuss them. From where I stand, or sit, There's another noteworthy element missing from the perspective of the younger movie fans. This podcast is going to be primarily about movies we saw when it was actually necessary to go to the movies. In this day of home video, cable or satellite TV, and especially streaming, watching a complete movie is of no greater significance than getting a snack from the refrigerator. And the choices are endless. You can do a search for just about any movie, and unless it's a lost film, there's a good chance it's readily available to watch, either on a cable or satellite schedule, or from a streaming site, or if nothing else, purchased on physical media, such as DVD or Blu-ray. It's just not such a big deal anymore, which I think is kind of a shame. 
With the conversations I'll be hosting here, I hope to remind you, or introduce you as the case may be, to a time when Dad loaded up the family in the car and we went to an actual theater or drive-in to see a movie together. Or maybe Mom dropped you and some friends off at a theater for a couple of hours. Or maybe you just walked to a neighborhood theater. In any case, we did more than just punch some buttons for our evening or afternoon of entertainment. We put forth some effort and created a special occasion. That's why in many cases I can tell you in which theater I saw what movie as a child. Just being there was a significant part of the experience. Today we can still go see a movie and have that shared communal feeling of seeing a picture as part of an audience, but we no longer have to. I think that sense of change is even more profound for people older than myself. I mean, I wasn't really around for the glory years of the movie palaces or the traditional Saturday matinees. Nevertheless, many of the movies that my guests and I will be discussing will come from those decades that predate me. Of course, at this point, you may be asking yourself, so who is this guy and what qualifies him to host a podcast about movies? I want that man's credentials. Okay, I'll give it my best shot. First of all, while I may not be old enough to have seen a lot of the classic films during their original theatrical runs, I've still been around long enough to fall into the old fart category, so my frame of reference as to what constitutes an old or classic movie will predate the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My love of movies was cultivated in childhood, but really solidified in my teens. I had caught the Marx Brothers on late-night TV. I believe A Night in Casablanca was the first one of theirs that I saw. When a local film society scheduled a screening of A Night at the Opera, which I had not yet seen, my dad took me to it, and that turned out to be just the first of many Wednesday nights we'd spend at the Central Library downtown where the society screened its films. In the months that followed, I was introduced to classics starring Bogart. What is it? The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Cagney. Well, hello. What do you hear? What do you say? Garbo. In addition to Charlie Chan, small things sometimes tell large stories. The films of Ernst Lubitsch, so they call me Concentration Camp Earhart, and some additional Marx Brothers movies. Tell me, what do you think of the traffic problem? What do you think of the marriage problem? What do you think of at night when you go to bed, you beast? Among others. During this time, I also discovered that the library had 8mm prints of silent movies that were available to check out, and that's how I saw my first Chaplin film, The Count, as well as Buster Keaton's Cops and The General. Also saw my first Valentino film, The Eagle. Well, some of it anyway. The projector bulb burned out midway through, and to this day I've never seen the entire movie. More relevant to this current venture is a journalistic cul-de-sac I wandered into in the 90s. I had spent a good deal of time compiling hundreds of pages of filmographies for what I'd intended to be a reference book, an encyclopedia of movie series from Airport to Zorro. That never came to fruition, but the research skills I cultivated along the way turned out to be a good warm-up for another project. Drawing upon a couple of different inspirations, I created a quarterly magazine called Television Chronicles, for which a friend provided the financial backing to publish. In the magazine, we profiled TV series of the past, accompanied by episode guides, and in some cases, standalone interviews with stars or creative personnel. The magazine was what would be called a critical success. Our subscribers included several museums, and we received complimentary notes and comments from many of our interview subjects. 
However, although we were able to utilize submissions from several talented writers, some of whom got book deals as a result of their pieces that appeared within our pages, it essentially remained a two-man operation, and the uphill climb to profitability was just too much for us to overcome, so we folded after three years and twelve issues. Nevertheless, during the course of the magazine's run, and a brief attempt at online revival a few years later, I was able to interview, either in person or by phone, the likes of Robert Culp. One day, a guy walked on the set who was taller than me. His shoulders were wider than mine. He had a funny walk to him. Very, very different, very special. And he had just enough of a interesting goofy face that it was not normal not regular certainly not an arrow collar ad but still extremely handsome and that was james Colbert. and i said uh-oh look out new kid in town dick clark acting is not my strong suit i did a few of these things at one point thinking that maybe that'd be something i want to do and i did a lot of i did Honey West and Perry Mason and Branded, and uh, it soon became evident I couldn't get lost in an acting part. Everybody by then said, oh, it's the guy with the kids and the dancing and the records. So uh, I just decided I'd better give up that ghost and do something else. Ron Ely. I think that was a huge mistake. Uh, I, I think it uh, did not allow the hardcore Doc Savage people to enjoy it the reality uh, aspects of it that they might have wanted. Like the James Bond, uh, people are able to, those who see it as tongue-in-cheek and what have you, um, can do so. But those who don't want to see it that way, who kind of want the fantasy, can have it that way too. The John Philip Sousa music and the male chorus singing it was uh, such a shock to me. I almost stood up when I first heard it and said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You are, the, you carried this joke far enough. Yeah. Now, now let me see the real film. I mean, I really, honest to goodness, did. Hmm. I really thought it was a joke they were playing on me. Stan Lee. I, I always liked Frankenstein, the movie with the Boris Karloff. And I always thought the monster was really the hero, the good guy, because he didn't want to hurt anybody, but all these idiots with torches were chasing him up and down the hills and everything. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to have a, um, a monster who's a hero? As far as I knew, nobody had ever done that. And I, then I, I liked Jekyll and Hyde, too, and I thought to make it more interesting, just so you don't see a monster all the time, what if he's a guy who changes back and forth from a normal guy to a monster? I loved the idea. I called Kirby, and uh, the hope was born. Buck Henry. That man was never a favorite of mine as a kid. I'm, I was very fond of Captain America, not least of all because his sidekick was named Bucky. James Hong. He was a wonderful director to work for here. Because of his uh, ability to trust the actor and say, okay, we, we saw what you did at the audition, just go with it. You know, and as a result, I just went all, all over with that role and did that whole thing in Chinese. And after the, several angles of shooting it in Chinese, we go for a close-up and I would say the Chinese dialogue again. And either author or the script person, both, I think, said, 
hey, you missed that bit about the lifesaver, you know. I said, what? wait a minute, I said it in Chinese, so how, how, how did you know? But it became that much of a uh, visual and common language, uh, uh, which I thought was uh, quite a compliment to my ability to, to uh, you know, uh, uh, translate this visual into the, the, uh, the Chinese dialogue into visual so that anybody could understand it. And June Lockhart. We shot it the, the, the week following the earthquake, which was Monday morning here mm. in 94. And uh, it's the only show I've ever done where the firemen stood on the set with you and before you, the cameras rolled said, okay, now that's the wild wall there. And if we get a quake, you just go over, push that wall down, it'll fall right over, walk straight ahead to the uh, outside to the parking lot, and you'll be safe. And this happened repeatedly. In addition to Lloyd Bridges, Robert Goulet, Dick Smothers, and director Richard Donner, just to name a few. I considered it a great compliment when Ron Ely told me that, alongside Jeff Rovin, he regarded me as one of the best interviewers he'd encountered. Soon you'll be able to form your own judgment in that regard. More recently, I created a movie poster of the day page on Facebook, where I would post a, wait for it, movie poster each day, well, Monday through Friday, and provide some information about the movie it advertised. Every other week, the posters would have a theme, which could be anything from the films of a particular director or star to films that featured a color in their title or were released in a particular year. I did that for a few years, and recently it struck me that, with the research and interview skills I'd developed doing these assorted projects, there might be a new avenue whereby I could put those skills and all the accumulated information on paper and in my head to better use. I mean, nobody will play Trivial Pursuit with me twice, so why not? So it's with that background that I'm confident I'll be able to present you with content that's both informative and entertaining enough to be worth your time. Uh, this would be a good point to hit the subscribe button, by the way. But enough about me. Maybe you'd like a taste of what to expect in the upcoming episodes. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. Okay then. Well, pay attention. Crime does not pay. You cannot escape the penalty of the law. <laughs> Bobby! If you're familiar with the exciting effects that can be achieved with 3D, you can imagine what happens when something from the great beyond reaches right out of the screen to clutch at you. Hey, Lullaby, wake up. It's time to go to sleep. Hello! Hello! The FP-1 doesn't answer. You know the old game. That's all there is to life. Just a little laugh, a little tear. That was a bit of a tease of just some of the topics to come. We're going to talk about motion pictures going all the way back to the silent era. We'll talk about slapstick and cowboys and monsters and detectives. We'll talk about where they were made, how they were made, and who was making them. We'll talk about your longtime favorites and introduce you to people and films you never knew about before. More specifically, perhaps you'd like to know what comes next. What is the first number? Number one. That's right. 
In episode number one, I will be talking with author and film historian Joe Adamson about the Marx Brothers and their movies. Joe's book, Groucho, Harpo, Chico, and Sometimes Zeppo, was, I believe, the first movie reference book I ever bought, and it set a high bar for subsequent books about the comedy team. And incidentally, if you think I mispronounced part of the book's title, that's all the more reason for you to listen in. Look for episode one to roll out soon. Until then... Y'all be cool. Got up.